Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. If you have your Bibles, I want you to come with me to Matthew 28, 18. We've read this before. It's the Great Commission. And it says this, And Jesus came and he spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so the foundation of what we do and who we are is that we would faithfully serve this mandate or this commission given by God. And so I want to just answer that question. So many people sit in church, uh, go through life going, well, what is my purpose? What am I here for? What is the big question? What is the big answer? What am I here to do? I want to tell you it's this, not just to love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, but then to bring others into relationship so they too can encounter Christ. Amen? That is our highest calling, to see disciples raised. Jesus gets to the end of his ministry and he goes, guys, it's not just about what I've done now, but you've got to take this message of hope out into the world. And you've got to share what I've done with others. The good news, you've got to share, you've got to take it into the world of people that are lost and hurt and broken and tell them the good news of what it is that I've done. Amen. And the body of Christ is here for that very purpose. I want to say this morning that the body of Christ lives and breathes and functions when all of us as believers get together and we faithfully serve. And when I think about the Great Commission, that we're being sent out, I want you to understand something this morning, that serving preempts the sending. Before I send you, I will serve you. And Jesus himself sets the tone For servanthood, in the back of the Gospels, we know that he's having his last supper with the disciples. He's coming to an end of his time on earth in his ministry. And instead of perhaps one more miracle or one last prophetic word or one last move from heaven, what does he do? He finishes his meal. He gets up. He takes off his outer garment. He goes over to the the wash basin, fills up a bowl, comes back, gets down on his hands and his knees, and he begins to clean and wash the feet of his disciples. And I want to read that story in John 13, 12. It says this, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. And he said, Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I want to tell you, serving itself actually carries the fragrance of Christ. When you serve, and the amazing thing is about God in in, in all authority. God incarnate as a human being, God all-powerful who threw the galaxies into being, He's now on earth in the form of man, decides to make Himself a little lower than the angels. He decides to take off an outer garment and actually get down on His hands and knees 
and wash the feet of men that are of no great renown, maybe a little bit rough, maybe a little bit unschooled, maybe a little bit dirty, maybe a little bit presumptuous. Why? Because at the end of his ministry, he's wanting to leave one more lesson for his disciples. And it's this, the, the outworking of what he's about to do. The outworking of the power of his Holy Spirit that's on its way will have its full expression. How? Through serving. Through setting someone else maybe above yourself and humbling yourself as Jesus did and serving. And so the title of my message this morning is this, Planted and flourishing and i use that title specifically because i want you to understand something and here it is god's highest calling for your life is not that you would go to church Ooh. Uh oh controversial god's highest calling is not that you would go to church not that you would go to a building not that you would simply show up again and again on a sunday right god's will for you is that you don't go to church but you find yourself planted in church that you'll find yourself planted in to the body of Christ. Because when we go to church, it's the same connotation as let's go to the movies. Let's go to the shops. Let's go somewhere, enjoy a receiver service, enjoy something, a product, an experience. Well, that was great. And then off we go again. And next week we can come back and enjoy a product and enjoy a service and, and go again. But we're not planted. Do you understand? It's consumerism at another level that so readily invades church, I believe, today and in the culture that we're in. People simply going to church. I want to put a challenge out to you this morning. Perhaps this year's a year to go, you know what? I'm not going to be someone that simply goes to church. I'm going to be someone that finds myself planted in the house of God. And so where does that language come from? Psalm 92, 12 to 14 says this, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. I love those words. I love that scripture. What does flourishing mean? It means to thrive. It means to grow. It means to prosper. It means being blessed. It means experiencing spiritual growth. But what the psalmist is saying here is, who will flourish? Not those that simply go, but those that are planted. We have to be planted if we want to flourish. Amen. We have to be planted if we want to flourish. And I love the imagery that they will still bear fruit in old age. That they will stay fresh and green. I love that. Who's encouraged by that as the years roll on? That when you are planted, you stay fresh. You stay green. You'll endure. You'll flourish. But maybe some of you this morning, if you're just honest, you'd say, Justin, that's awesome, but I wouldn't use those words. I wouldn't say that I'm flourishing. When I look at my spiritual life, I don't find that it's flourishing. Maybe it's a little bit dry. Emotionally, I don't feel like I'm winning. Maybe emotionally, I feel like I'm losing. Financially, I don't feel blessed. I feel scarcity in my world. Maybe I don't feel connected Actually, I feel slightly isolated and sometimes we can find ourselves in this tension in life of trying to find a place, of trying to push through struggles, of trying to wait for answers, of dealing with frustrations and longing and hoping and you're going to church but you're not kind of flourishing. Those that are planted in the house of God by His Word, He says, will flourish. Amen. So I want to step back for a minute 
and suggest something to you this morning that perhaps serving and the whole deal with serving is that it's not actually about serving. I want you to stay with me on that. Because when I look at people that model faithful servanthood year in, year out, just investing into the kingdom of God, I look at their life and I think perhaps it's a byproduct of something else. That maybe when I'm looking at these people's lives, what I'm actually seeing is the byproduct of a heart that has found its treasure in Christ. A heart that has found itself bonded and connected to Christ. A life that is committed to what? To serving out the greatest commandment you and I have as believers, which is what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. You see, because a life that is lived in that space of saying, you know what, I'm going to pursue with all that I am to simply love God, to invest in my relationship with Him, to keep pressing in, to strengthen and develop and invest all that I can into knowing Him intimately. Can I tell you that a byproduct of that pursuit is a heart that desires to serve. It's a heart that desires to be planted in the house of God. And when you begin to develop godly habits in your life, what are they? Around the Word of God, around prayer, around finding yourself in worship. What is happening is that we're keeping our hearts strong. We're keeping our hearts enlarged. And an expression of a healthy heart is service. You see, the expression of God's heart for us was service. It was outward focused. God first loved that he gave something to us. Christ first loved that he would go and spend time with people. He would take the time to go and serve people and sit with people that society has discarded. He would take the time to listen and do the miracles. There was an outward serving. And so as you and I begin to be transformed into the image of God, as we say, you know what? I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to invest my life into you. The transformation that happens on the inside is we begin to look outward. But here's the beautiful thing about that. As we look outward in service, people are drawn in towards the heart of God. As we look to serve in the house of God, it creates this magnetism that begins to draw people in, not to us, but to the heart of God. And I think that is such a beautiful thing. But you've got to understand that spiritual growth and serving are two things that go hand in hand and must work together if really we are going to endure to the end, as the great apostle Paul said, and gain the prize at the end of our race. And I think sometimes the challenge is this, that we live in a culture that is so fast moving, that is very inward looking. It's about what can I get? What can I gain? How can I be okay? And we move from one thing to the next. We become great consumers and we look for a product that works. And if it doesn't work, we look to the next product and then the next product. What happens then is we come into church with a very anemic relationship with God. We've kind of got so many things going on. You know, the schedule's busy. Time is short. We're doing so many things. Sometimes we wear it as a badge of honor. Man, life is full. I just don't have any time for anything else. I'm spinning and wheeling and dealing. But God then, what happens? God gets pushed down the priority list. And if we're not strengthening our relationship with God, can I tell you, it becomes very difficult to serve. It becomes very difficult to live a life modeled around servanthood if God is not that first priority. We need the Spirit of God. Sometimes... We start out strong, right? Who remembers coming into the house of God and 
encountering him and being saved. And it was like such an overwhelming revelation of his grace and his goodness that the first thing we wanted to do was, what can I do? God, I love your house. This is where I want to be. And so we're serving on 400 teams and nothing's too much. And we're at 600 services every week and we're going strong. But then what happens? Over time, very subtly, it just becomes about doing the things we do. And we begin to shift our focus off the reason why we came into the house of God in the first place, which is Christ. And we begin to look again at people for our recognition, for our championing, for our reassurance that we're doing a good thing. But here's the problem with looking at people. People are people, right? And we have a house full of people. And so at some point, maybe you're not going to get that. And this is exactly what the children of Israel did. You see, they left, they left Egypt under the mighty hand of God. And God did the most incredible, amazing, supernatural signs and wonders. Why? Because he wanted his children to know in no uncertain terms, I am the great I am. And if I can do all this for you, then I can get you out of bondage and I can get you into the promised land. You just have to what? Trust me. Follow me. Keep your eyes on me. And so what happens in Exodus 32, the children of Israel eventually get to Mount Sinai. And over a process of time of journeying through the dry place, going through struggles, facing some challenges, not having questions answered, they began to shift their focus off their deliverer and the one who he had spoken to use to deliver, who was Moses. Moses, you're the guy. You're the one that's going to do this. We are relying and hoping and trusting that you're going to get us to the promised land. Hang on, we've missed something. And so what happens is God calls Moses up Mount Sinai. He's gone for 40 days and 40 nights. It's a long time up a mountain. These people that have placed their trust and hope in Moses don't know where he is. He's gone. But because their hope and their trust and their focus was on Moses, they began to shake. They began to be uncertain. Things got flaky and shifty in their lives. How are we going to make it to the promised land? You and I reading that would go, well, surely if God can get you out of Egypt, God's taking you to the promised land. They weren't looking at God. They were waiting for Moses. And because Moses had gone, all of a sudden the promise was uncertain. When we start looking at people instead of God, all of a sudden the promises in our life become uncertain. Because we're placing our hopes and our dreams and our expectation in vessels and jars that are made of clay. We're not always going to get there. And so what do they say? They say, well, Aaron, Moses' brother, you've got to make a plan. You've got to build us a calf, a golden calf. Melt down the jewelry. Build us a calf so we can look at that now to get us to the promised land. Here's the danger when we start to raise idols up in our life that take the place of God in seeing us walk out the promises and purposes he has. Here's the danger is that I can come to church and lead worship brilliantly. I can come and set up these chairs with mathematical precision. I can preach a message like Stephen Furtick. But if I am looking to you for my recognition and my confirmation and adoration Man, that was brilliant. Man, you've done a great job. Oh, we couldn't do this without you. Doesn't matter how powerful that service was. I'm going to go home feeling deflated, feeling upset, feeling taken advantage of. Like nobody loves me. Everybody hates me just because I eat worms. Right? 
But that's what happens in church. And I'll be honest with you, I was there once. That was me at one time. And I was doing everything we were doing in the church that we were part of. And I was worship leading and I was serving and I was stewarding. And whatever the pastor wanted, that's what I did. But do you think the pastor ever said, Justin, good job. You're amazing. Couldn't do this without you. I remember I was given the task of worship leading. And one Sunday I wrote, turned up, sorry, one Thursday I turned up to worship practice to find out that he'd given the job to someone else. What do I do? So I remember sitting in my car one Sunday going, God, I've had enough. I'm done. No one appreciates me. I'm working hard. Don't they know I've got a job? I've got two young kids. I'm, I'm spinning plates and here I am serving and no one's telling me I'm doing a good job. I'm sick of it. I'm going to write an email. I'm writing an email tonight. It's going out. God, and, and I just pray. God, I pray that you would vindicate me. You'd go before me, God, and smite them. Just smite them. And I was so convinced that God was on my side. And as God does ever so graciously and beautifully, as soon as I'd calmed down, the small voice came into me. And I remember it. So I was pulling, I was reversing out of the car park. That's how clear his voice came to me. And he said, Justin, do you remember when it stopped being about me and became all about you? I didn't realize you died and ransomed your life for me. Thank you. <sighs> I won't send the email, God. I'm good. I'm all good. But you see, it's not about serving. In fact, it's not really serving that takes my focus. And people often transition themselves into serving. And now we're serving. But the serving becomes the focus. And when serving becomes the focus, what happens? All of a sudden, maybe we, we're filling our lives up with yet something else to do. So we cut back on those godly habits. Right? We base our church attendance on our serving roster. Right? People understand. I work hard. I've got young kids. It's, my world's crazy. I'm just going to hide away for a, a little bit. But I want to remind us that serving is an outward response of a heart that is sold out for Christ. A heart that is connected to God. You see, because if it's not, serving becomes less about a heart attitude and it becomes a head attitude. And when serving becomes a head attitude, it now becomes about obligation. And when we feel obligated... We find ourselves down a road that leads to what? To burnout. So many people leave their first love in the house of God. And if you just go and research it and read it, thousands and thousands and thousands of people and pastors and leaders right now are just hitting burnout. Hitting walls. Walking away. Putting down the microphone. Leaving the pews. I don't ever want us to be in that place, church. And I'll, I want to share with you very quickly why it is that I serve. John 15, 16. And I, I love this. I've shared it before. But it says this. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. I love that. God has chosen me. I didn't choose him. And when I stop and actually take a minute to think about that, all the billions of people that existed, exist today and will exist, God, the great creator of all things, who holds the galaxies in his hand, sought me out. Once relationship with me, pursued me since I was a young child. 
leaving clues of his goodness and his grace and his mercy. And one day I walked into church at 15 years of age and encountered Christ and my world was completely changed and I was undone and overcome by the fact that I'm no longer spending eternity without him, but my eternity is assured in heaven. That he loved me so much, he would give his one and only son to die a horrific death on Calvary for me. That's how much he loved me. He said, you don't have what you need to pay the price for what you've done, but I do. And I'm willing to pay it for you because I love you. And so I have the free gift by grace of eternal life. And when I wake up in the mornings and I take a minute to understand that and let that sink into my heart, I say, God, how can I not express my life to you but to serve you? I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful that you pursued me, that you were faithful when I wasn't. When I was chucking the temper tantrums and walking away and giving up, you are still there. You still pursued me. You didn't give up on my life. When I was broken and I was hurt and I was disappointed and I was ashamed, God, you still came through for me. And you're God, the same God yesterday, today, and forever. When I think about that, that revelation of his love for me, I go, God, the least I can do is serve. Like David said, you'll find me in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. How good it is to dwell in the presence of God. Amen. That is why I serve. Serving is a heart deal. Serving is motivated out of a heart that is spiritually healthy and growing. And a really good discipline I found in life to develop as you walk things out with Christ is to give yourself the authority to remove the power your feelings have to determine your future. I want to say that again. You need to give yourselves the authority to remove the power you give your feelings every day to determine your future. Who knows, feelings are not always reliable. Right? I said it before, if you play the trust game with feelings, feelings are going to drop you every time. Right? Feelings are not always right. But what do you mean? Well, some days, I'm just going to be honest with you, I don't want to brush my teeth. It's a time waster, standing in the bathroom, carrying on. But if I don't brush my teeth, my wife will leave me, I'll go gummy, and it's not going to be pretty. Who knows that we don't always jump out of bed in the morning feeling bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, ready to go to work. But if I don't go to work, I'm not paying the bills. I'm not supporting my family. All of you that have had the pleasure of two-year-olds in your life sitting in a baby seat eating veggies trying to shove the veggies down their face and they're throwing veggies everywhere. They don't feel like eating veggies, but we know it's good for them. They need to do it. Who's grateful that your heart one day doesn't just say, you know what, stuff this. I don't feel like doing what I've been created to do. Wait, kidneys, let's blow this joint. We're out. Good luck. Who knows, should that day come, we're all in a bit of strife, right? Your feelings should never get to have a louder voice in your life than God's. Your feelings must never get to have a louder voice in your life than God's. Your feelings are not good at leading. They're only good at following. And so I want to encourage us this morning, feed your heart. Feed your heart. Feed your heart on the Word of God. Feed your heart in times of prayer. Feed your heart and saturate your life in worship. Because as you begin to feed your heart, you will find when you go through those valleys and you go through those seasons where you want to give up, where you want to just turn around, where you want to throw it all in, 
God helps you to keep going. You understand, God, I'm so grateful for what you've done in my life. I can keep walking. And begin to tell your feelings, I'm not following you, you follow me. I'm following Christ, you follow me. I'm following what His Word says, you follow me. The circumstances may be telling me something. The pastor hasn't told me for at least three weeks that I'm doing a good job. But I'm following Christ, so feelings, you follow me. And I will turn up in the house of God all the days of my life because I tell you what, when I stand before God one day in glory, I want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You stayed the course, you ran your race. But unless you're coming to the place, unless you find your life often, daily, at the foot of the cross, God, would you fill me? God, I'm here to meet with you. God, I want to know you. Unless we're doing that, church. How can we journey through those valleys and seasons and stay committed and stay the course? It's about the heart. So what is it very quickly that serving really brings to the table? Jeremiah 17, 18, I want to read that again. It says, they will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Like a tree that is planted by the riverbank. That's roots go deep, roots going deep into the water. What happens when roots go deep? Trees are not bothered by what's happening on the surface. Trees can withstand drought. They can go through challenges. There can be fires and winds and cyclones and the storms of life come. But they will endure. Their lives will keep bearing fruit. Why? Because their roots have gone deep. They're unshakable and they're unmovable. The deeper your roots go, the taller you can climb. The deeper your roots go, the taller. And this is the crazy thing. I've said this before in church. You and I are the only ones that determine how deep we go with God. Not God. You and I determine how deep it is we go with God. God is always ready. God is always able. James says, draw near unto God and he will draw near unto you. And I love the fact that you can stand at the beginning of a year and a and a season and be like, God, let's do this. And God's saying, how, how deep do you want to go? How deep into my riches do you want to explore? How deep do you want to see what it is that I can do for you and do with you? As a tree whose roots go deep into good soil. And I did some research on roots, and especially those of the giant redwood trees. I don't know if you've ever seen them in California. Red in California... They have these giant, and when I say giant, they are the tallest living thing on earth. When you see them, they're about 30 stories high. They're about three, there's one redwood tree that actually has a highway going through it. That's how big the tree is. But scientists have over the years gone and done uh, sonographs of the, the, the parks where these redwood trees grow. And you'd have a redwood tree and then a couple of hundred, you know, 30 meters away, you'd have another one, another one. So it's an amazing thing to walk through. But what is more amazing is when you see these sonographs of the tree root system, as high as they are is almost as how deep they go. 30 to 40 meters or feet down they go and out. And they, they, they've basically proven that the only reason these trees can grow to the height they grow is because of their root system. Because of what's going on underneath the surface that nobody is seeing. You're getting me this morning, church. The only reason we can stay the course, 
The only reason we can stay in the house of God is for me and my family. We will serve in the house of God to my last breath. The only reason is because what's going on under the surface that nobody can see. I'm letting my roots go deep. Don't underestimate the time and seasons God calls you simply to spend at the altar. It's strengthening that root system. Not only is it deep, but the roots are wide. And so you look at these amazing pictures and it's like a mesh. It's like a city of roots that not only give them height, but give them strength and stability. And I look at that picture and I say, well, that's the church of God. That's the body of Christ. Every believer having roots purpose to go deep into living water and out connected to others so that no matter the storms and challenges and problems we face, as the great apostle Paul said, we're pressed on every side. We're bruised. We're crushed. But we're not defeated. We still have hope. We can still keep going. We can still endure because our roots go deep. Amen. This is why we need to stay united. The second thing about that which is planted is that it produces fruit. Not only will you flourish, but you'll produce fruit. What is this fruit we're talking about? It's the fruit the great apostle Paul reminds us of in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit. But what I find amazing about what Paul is saying here is that the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all these fruits... When your roots are deep in who God is, you know who you are in Christ. You're serving in the house. You could be going through hell, but your life still bears the fruits of the Spirit. You're still loving. You're still patient. You're long-suffering. Your life just seems to be filled with joy. You become this anomaly and this outlier in the marketplace because people who know you understand what you're going through. How is it that you are happy? How is it that you have hope? How is it that you seem to carry a light on the inside of you when by all rights and circumstances you should be imploding? But I want you to not miss something very important about this. The reason that we bear fruit in dry seasons, Paul says, consider it all joy when you face trials that the fruit of your faith may become evident to others, impacting them for Christ. The fruit in your life bears witness to who your God is in your life. So many times I've had in my journey over 27 years, people ask those questions and it opens a door for a conversation that I've seen some of them come to know God. The fruit in your life bears witness. Well, hang on, what are we doing all of a sudden? The Great Commission. We're sent out as Christ lovers, Christ believers. Bearing fruit in our lives as we look outward to serve others. It speaks of a testimony of who our God is. And as people see that and question it and respond to it and are drawn to it. So there's an opportunity to speak Jesus into their lives. Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. For more life-changing messages, visit us online at c3noosa.org. If you've been blessed by this message, please consider partnering with us financially to see the work of God continue flourishing in and through C3 Church Noosa. God bless.